your sweet in your mouth. If you'd like to turn around and uh, stop chatting to your neighbour and focus back this way, that'd be wonderful. So it already got mentioned uh, a few times uh, during the service about the 36 hours of prayer. And obviously, uh, I'd just like to say a big thank you to everybody that was involved in that second time we've done it. It does feel... Uh, you know, quite exciting when you come to the end of it. I was in the room at the end. In fact, I wasn't there the whole time, by the way, but I was there at the start and I was there at the end. And it's exciting when you feel the sense of achievement that together we've been continually praying, you know, the sort of prayer relay uh, for 36 hours. And uh, thank you so much for everybody that committed to any part of that, you know, through the night. And it was just brilliant. Uh, I did a quick total up of the sheets because we do ask people to sort of sign up to help us know that we've got the relay in place and there's no gaps uh, and I made 103 people that were involved in the 36 hours and somewhere that includes the kids so you could give a little cheer a round of applause for that uh, thank you it's wonderful and you should have even uh, you may have been shocked even as you walked in and got your notice sheet open it up and there's there, there's a form again could sign up for the next 36 hours now it's partly with half term coming up uh, you know, and no service and stuff, we thought we'd let you know as soon as possible. So we are planning on doing it again, slightly different theme, slightly different room layout at Drummond, but basically another 36 hour of prayer um, in June. And you, you've got your piece of paper like that, telling you a little bit about it. And can I encourage you to, uh, whether even today, or take it home, think about when you could sign up. It really is helpful. I know many people turn up uh, sort of, you know, when they're available and off the cuff, which is great, but it really is helpful when we get some people knowing that we have got that 36 hours covered. And when you commit to that, you're, you really are supporting other people around you and sort of playing your part at that time slot. So it's very, very helpful. So whether today, obviously it's a number of weeks away still, but uh, let's see if we can do better than 103. I, I'm sure we can in terms of different people involved. So uh, please be aware of that. Okay, now... Today we're starting a new uh, three-part series, which I'm doing all, all the talks the next three weeks, so starting from today, on Be Holy, Be Holy. Now, and again, it's actually come up in some of the, the prophetic stuff, and even the imagery, obviously, you see that got here, God's sort of burning, cleansing fire, uh, that God is a holy God, as we'll look at, and he wants us to be his holy people. Now, this could arguably be the longest-running series we've ever had at City Open, not entirely sure, because I kind of started this series, uh, just a quick bit of information, if you're interested, back in March 2013. Okay, so I did four talks uh, on Leviticus, and we'll talk about that book of the Bible a bit in a second, on this Be Holy series back in March 2013, and that's where we looked at some of the earlier chapters of the book, on the sacrificial system and how it points towards Jesus. And so if you ever go on our website and look at these talks, you'll find them all joined up together. We're looking at some different bits of the book uh, today, not the sacrifices. Here's a verse from the New Testament. And again, we'll just cover the Bible very briefly in a second, but written to Christians, if like written to you and I by the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, one of his best mates, says, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So in one sense, it's a fairly straightforward verse, isn't it? Really uh, provoking, challenging, encouraging Christians to be holy even as God is holy, whatever that means. And when it says, it is written, be holy because I am holy, that's a quote from this book of Leviticus. 
Leviticus is not the most popular book of the Bible uh, for people to read. And I always do this, just to, not just to embarrass people, just to kind of see it goes. Who here has ever read all the way through the book of Leviticus in the, in the Bible? If you let's stick your hand up, that's it's not bad, but maybe just on less than half the people. So there's a book of the Bible, God's word to us, and uh, many people have not read it, not looked at it. It's quite a difficult book in many ways. But you might say the basic message of Leviticus for all the odd kind of trying to understand it bits that are in it, is about being holy. And that's why I want us to look at it over the next three weeks and try to draw out some of its messages for us today. And in the New Testament, direct quote, using it, because it is written, God's saying to us, be holy, because I am holy, says God. And that's a quote from Leviticus uh, in the New Testament for Christians. So we want to learn from it. Here's a quick little bit about uh, Leviticus, in case you don't, you've never even heard of the book. So there's my holy Bible. Okay, the Bible is uh, a num- it's a whole collection of different books, if you like, 66, in fact. The big division is Old Testament and New Testament. Essentially, the Old Testament is before Jesus. Then Jesus is born, he's existed all the time because he's God, but he's born in Bethlehem, he walks around doing amazing things for three years, he's crucified, he's raised again, and then people start writing about him and the church afterwards, that's the New Testament. So the Old Testament, which basically the people of Israel, is written before Jesus and always looking towards him, looking to when he's coming. And in my very basic timeline on this uh, sheet here, you can see Leviticus is one of the very earliest books. It's actually the third book of the Bible. It's about the stuff in it. It's about three and a half thousand years old. Okay, it's a collect- lot of its collection of rules and laws, and we'll be looking at that are three and a half thousand years old. Well, how could that possibly be relevant for us today? That's before the Romans and everything. So it's old stuff. So the first book of the Bible, Genesis and Exodus, is where uh, some of the very well-known stories actually. Moses leads the people of Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea and they're heading, they're in the wilderness heading towards the promised land. Whilst they're in the wilderness, Leviticus is written. Scholars do debate it, but that looks like when Leviticus is written. God speaks to Moses for the Israelites in the wilderness saying, this is how I want you to live. Be holy because I'm holy. And this is what the book's about. And it's a, it is... Uh, a really difficult book in some respects. Lots of scholars and people debate, what on earth is this talking about now? How does this look like? Because it's three and a half thousand years old and the rules and laws it talks about look really obscure. And how does that feature? And, um, and I thought, hopefully not overstepping myself, we'd look at some of those rather odd laws and see how they might challenge us to live today in terms of God's word and the overall sense of being holy. So... Anybody fancy some roast rat? Look at that. It looks tasty, doesn't it? So Now, I thought it's excellent because I know... What's the strangest thing you've ever eaten, by the way? Now, I know it's just very fortuitous that um, John and Ellen are here. I hope Ellen has... He's gone upstairs because I know Ellen has a great, odd food... Well, fairly odd food-eating story, which I'm just going to have to tell now because she can't do it. So I know she's had guinea pig before in uh, South America, which she said was disgusting. So there you are. Don't tell the kids. They'll all be weeping. Won't they? Hey, guinea pig, you know. So who here's a... What's the strangest thing you've eaten? Go to a couple of people. Okay, Paul wants to go straight away. Sheep's brains. Sheep's brains. Okay, sheep's brains. They'd be allowed, I guess. Sheep's brains. Guinea pigs like Hilda. So a snail. Not just from the back garden, I hope. No, okay. But you have had snails. I was wondering if anyone was doing snails. Uh, Pete. 
So like a basically a giant maggot, basically. You ate a giant maggot. We'll go with that. That's weird. One last one. Go on then. Um, oh, actually, there'll be some good ones here. I think. Go on, Claire. What? Sea slug. That looks. That sounds pretty disgusting. So, the worst thing. The worst thing I've had. Most unusual thing. I once had some green salad. It was. It's like all limp and just. Oh, it was. Oh dear. So that was. I think that beats. That was always extreme. So. We're going to look today at the food laws in Leviticus. So this is uh, Leviticus chapter 11. This is not the whole chapter. These are some excerpts of what God speaks to Moses. And I think most of the things that people have described here, apart from sheep's brains, wouldn't have been allowed for the Israelites to eat. I'm sure salad should be banned as well. God spoke to Moses and Aaron, speak to the people of Israel, tell them of all the animals on earth, these are the animals that you may eat. You may eat any animal that has a split hoof divided in two and that chews the cud, but not an animal that only chews the cud or only has a split hoof. For instance, the camel chews the cud but doesn't have a split hoof, so it's unclean. Skipping along a bit. Among the creatures that live in the water of the seas and streams, you may eat any that have fins and scales, but anything that doesn't have fins and scales, whether in seas or streams, whether small creatures in the shallows or huge creatures in the deeps, you are to detest. Sounds like you detested your sea slug, so that's probably fine. These are the birds you are to detest. This is in terms of eating them. Don't eat them. They're detestable. The eager, the vulture, the osprey, kite, all falcons, all ravens, ostrich, nighthawk, seagull, all hawks, owl, cormorant, ibis, water, and pelican, Egyptian vulture, the rest you make can eat, I don't know, stork, all herons, the hoopoe, and the bat, which obviously isn't a bird in our... Now, we would classify it as a bird, of course, but no bat eating, please. Among the creatures that crawl on the ground, the following are unclean for you. The weasel, the rat... No roast rat, all lizard, gecko, monitor lizard, wall lizard, skink, and chameleon. Make, this is the end of the chapter, so it's said many more different animals, different bits going on. Make yourselves holy, for I am holy. Don't make yourselves ritually unclean by any creature that crawls on the ground. I am God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And there's that quote, be holy, because I am holy. So the reason for not eating all those foods, in some ways, the big broad reason is actually really clear. Okay, it's not hard to understand. God says it, it's to be holy. God says don't eat these things because some of the essence of holiness is distinction. It's being different. The Israelites were a called out people from the nations around them. So if you follow their story through from uh, Genesis uh, 12, then you see Abraham being called out from the people around them and he becomes the, uh, the father of the nation of Israel. And so it's part of what defined them, part of how God wanted them to be. And even there, he's, he's saying that you're distinct. I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I called you out of that heathen nation, if you like. You're my distinct people. So be different. There's these, you know, these food laws that will m- make you distinct, will distinguish you from others. And of course, in that sense, even today, Jews are known as those that don't eat a bacon sarni. You know, we don't know them particularly for roast rat or whatever, but they don't eat pig. And it's kind of distinction. It's keeping that distinction. You're God's people. Be different. And in some ways, that's one of the essence of holiness. That we are called, obviously it's not about food laws for us anymore. We'll look at that a bit later. But for, as a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's to be holy. It's to be distinct. It's for your life. 
to look different from those around us in many respects because so many people around us obviously aren't interested in following Jesus and his standards for their life and the way they live. And of course that can be awkward and difficult at times and challenged at times, but it's a call to be distinct. You can have a bacon sarnie, but distinction is still part of how we're called to live, following God's ways and not just any old way, your way or your neighbour's way or the way of the world, however you, uh, however you phrase it. As a church, we, uh, we tend to, uh, I think in that sense, or over recent times, we, we emphasise how, obviously, we want to be a church in the community, we want to be relevant to the community, we want to love it. We are part of the community. The local Sunday that we've got coming up is part of our vision to look beyond that, to see how we can take what God is doing among us here uh, and the good news we want to be for Jesus and see that, if you like, planted out uh, more closely to where some of us live, multiplied three times, if you like, from just one place here into three locations. You know, we're having a, a go on uh, June the 19th. Be part of that. And we're seeing where God may take us on that journey to see City Hope being salt and light in the community, being part of the community, being good. And of course, we're doing that during the week with the different connect groups and communities already. But a good, a good few months ago, really, as I'm sort of praying about that, saying, God, this is what we want to see, what we want to do. In most, I felt God sort of challenged me. But what if, what if what we multiply out, if you like, isn't that distinct? Isn't that holy? Isn't really kind of focused on God? And actually, the, the sort of our mixing and doing of the community is, in a sense, watered down all that God would have us be. And I felt that sort of you know, challenge in my own life and a challenge to us. We do want to be relevant. We do want to be good news. We do want to be loving people. But we want to be holy, don't we? We want to be distinct. And uh, for all that they're a, a bit odd in many ways, in those, those food laws, those list of things is a calling. You're going to be different. God's people, the Israelites, you're going to be different. These are all the things you're not touched. This is how you're to live in terms of your diet. And let's like say even today, Jews are known for not eating pig amongst uh, others. It's true. So, but, but why those animals? And can we get to the bottom of that? Can we learn anything from it? So it's fine. So be distinct. Don't eat that stuff. Eat this stuff. Most of us wouldn't be bothered about the hoopoo and the bat anyway. But, uh, you know, what about the other stuff? Well, why do we have to live like that? Now, <laughs> essentially, um, it, it, there's no sort of unified consensus answer there. It's highly debatable. So here's a quote from one um, commentator I read. It's disturbing to interpreters that Leviticus 11 does not provide an explicit rationale for the division of animals into clean and unclean. Why, why can you eat that and you can't eat that? Okay, and it's just, to, to be honest, there is a sense in which nobody's entirely sure. You can't really get to the bottom of it on any kind of unifying theory as to why some animals say you can eat that and some you can't. And uh, just to say, it's, a, it's not really, I remember growing up in the church, you used to hear about hygiene issues and things like that, and some animals are safer to eat. It's, that, that doesn't really hold true. It's not, it's, it's not that. So uh, if you've sort of got that in the background, you're thinking from somewhere, um, that was wrong. So, it, but it's really hard to say exactly what's going on. But this guy goes on to say, but for the Israelites, this was not an issue because the main point was to do what the Lord said, whether or not he offered an explanation. The call, we, we, in some ways, I think that we don't like that, do we? If we're told what to do, we want to know why we've got to do it. We want to know what, what's the benefit, what's the point. And yet, 
Now, I'm not saying the Israelites didn't always live their lives, particularly in terms of God rules, but it's interesting. It's like maybe they didn't quite get it, all the distinctions. But this was their God. He'd, he'd rescued them. He'd chosen them. He'd brought them out of Egypt. Were they going to trust him or not? Were they going to follow him or not? You know, we, even, so we sort of sing a song at some point. Our, our, our song is, we trust and obey. We don't trust and try to understand everything necessarily. And maybe for many of us that's difficult. We don't like the idea of that. But again, it was coming out from the early service. Jesus commends childlike faith. Trust in him. Do you really believe God knows best? In the, in the sense of how God calls us to live, which is not about food laws, is your heart saying, I believe that's right. This is how I want to be. Now, all sorts of ways of sort of God's standards, the standards Jesus lived out. Like we said, many people around us in society wouldn't think you have to live that way, wouldn't think it's that important. And they question things. It's make us question things. Well, why do you have to live that way? Is that really so important? You know, most people say, you know, lying's wrong or something, but it often depends who you're sort of lying to. You sort of fiddle your tax return or something, and that's got to be okay because, you know, we don't like the government anyway. And do we get drawn into that? You know, so immigration stuff where we don't, are not truthful about really our situation because surely God wants me in this nation. And we, you know, we're not truthful with the forms that we do against the government. The whole thing of sexual ethics, which of course the world dismisses completely around us. Is this God really that tight on sex? Why would he say that? I don't understand it. And I'm not saying there aren't reasons, there isn't rationale, but sometimes we don't get everything. But, you know, is he really that restrictive? Sex within marriage, man and woman, is that how it is? Do I trust him? Do you trust him? Do you really think he's good? He's got my best. This is what I want. I want to be holy. It's not necessarily wrong to ask questions, of course, but deep in our heart. Are we just, you know, just always questioning God, always saying, I'm going to be a childlike follower of Jesus. I believe he knows what's best for me. I just, again, I mean, you think maybe God is speaking to you about different areas of your life now, but the whole thing of forgiveness and letting go. People do hurt us. People do offend us. And it's like, get back at them. Doing back, that's kind of the way of the world of it, isn't it? It's like not, not let go, not forgive. Oh, that's painful. It feels so unfair, unjust. But God speaks to us about forgiveness. I trust him. That's got to be the right route. However hard it is, I will forgive people. I will let go. And so maybe the, the food laws in that sense, maybe the Israelites didn't know why it was. But it's, like, but it's quite clear what they had to do. And I'd say, I'm sure so many of us, and we don't like this in different ways, do we? We want to know why. We want to get our head around something. And like, so I'm not trying to rule out asking questions, digging deeper into the Bible. What does God really say? All of that. But in our heart, in your heart, have you reconciled? No. When I gave my life to Jesus, if you're a Christian, it was basically saying, I'm wrong, you're right. You're the Lord. I've made a mess of my own life. I want to follow you now. So why do you change? Why would we change and go back in? Well, now you've said those things, God, but I'm now going to try and figure it out myself on this one. I'm not sure you're right. It is our heart still. You're my father. I trust you. You are holy. It's interesting. This uh, same commentator says, the first biblical example of a divine command without detailed explanation also happens to concern eating. 
You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. So this is right back in the Garden of Eden and the, what we call the fall of man, Adam and Eve. Not an apple, but you know, they, it wasn't a pig they weren't allowed to eat, it was a fruit on the tree. There was a rationale, all right, to avoid death. Yet the prohibition did not say why death would result from this particular tree, just as Leviticus 11 does not tell us why impurity results from a particular animal. It didn't work out too good, did it? Adam and Eve saw the fruit and said, oh, it looks good, it looks good for gaining wisdom, although God had said not to, and, and it, <laughs> it ruined their life. It went horribly wrong. And how often can that go on with us? We think we don't really trust God, we don't really believe he knows what's best for us, we think we'll figure it out ourselves, only to discover further down the line, oh, that was a bad move. I should have gone with the way God wanted me to live. I should have trusted him. You know, in Leviticus, when all these rules have been given out, God is in the camp, if like. They're in the wilderness, they're camping, they're moving towards the promised land, uh, the nation of Israel, very slowly, because they keep making a mess of things. But um, God is in the camp. He's the, there's the tent of meat, and he called it, and come the tabernacle, and the presence of God is there, uh, the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, and it's almost like an offer. God has said, I've rescued you, I've redeemed you, and here I am. Some of my glory, the wonder of God. Now, how is it you want to live? What is it you really want? You know, even the whole thing of food speaks to our appetites, our desires. Are you wanting to just be your own boss and run things yourselves? Are you willing to trust me? Are you willing to say, this is what I really want. I want to be like God. The offer to come and know him more deeply, walk with him more closely, be allowed to approach the fire and the cloud, and the glory, or do I want to nibble on this bacon sandwich? That's a challenge. There's an offer and a challenge for God. He, he, he has made so many moves towards us, and he sent Jesus to die for us, but he is a holy God. He doesn't alter his character. It's who he is, and all of us have that challenge, don't we, of how we're going to live. Are we going to try and walk the ways that we know God wants us to walk? And of course, it's not always easy, and he does forgive us. He is an incredibly forgiving, wonderful, loving father. Praise God he forgives us. But deep in heart, are we saying, I know which way I want to go, though. For all the mistakes I make, for all the times I have to come back to him and say, I blew it, I got it wrong again. But Jesus, I do trust you. I want to follow in your ways. It's uh, brought out our hope in this quote here. Uh, blessed is that simplicity which rejects obscure inquiry, it's quite an old quote, and advances along the short and open road of God's commandments. Many have lost their devotion by attempting to pry into matters too high for them. It is faith and a holy life that are required of you, not a lofty intellect or knowledge of the profound mysteries of God. For if you cannot understand or grasp things that are beneath you, how will you those, comprehend those that are above you? Therefore, submit yourselves to God and humble your reason to faith, and the light of knowledge shall be granted you insofar as it be profitable and necessary. That's quite famous, but Thomas a. Kempis, the imitation of Christ, he quotes that. Is that on your heart? That you say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus, you know that. And are there areas where you're thinking, you're looking to make your own way up again, and actually you need to come back and say, no, I trust God for different ways of doing things. Maybe there's pressures on you at work to uh, respond a certain way. You know, some of the things they're, they're doing at work aren't necessarily, you think, that's straight. You know, some of the ways to deal with accounts or clients or whatever, and just like, I, I, I want to trust God. I want to be holy. 
You know, whatever it is, in this area, you need to say, no, I come back to faith in God. He has rescued me. And I believe he's got my best. He's got my back. He will look after me and care for me. This is in the uh, New Testament. This is Jesus. They've been debating the food laws. They've been uh, talking about what, you know, what makes you clean and unclean. And Jesus says this. Uh, this is the disciples. They've had to debate the Pharisees. He's gone back into a house and the disciples are asking him about it. They're all Jews. They would all have been trying to live out those food laws of Leviticus 11 that we just looked at. Are you so dull, he asked them, this to his disciples, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart but into their stomach and then out of the body. And the editorial comment of Mark who wrote this, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. As I'm sure many of you know, the, um, the ceremonial laws in Leviticus, the food laws in Leviticus, they don't hold for us today. You can eat a bacon sandwich or a sea slug or whatever you fancy, or even don't fancy. Okay, it's not, in that sense, that's not relevant for us now. Those laws of God for the people of Israel was for them then and not for us today because Jesus has made all the difference. We are not defiled uh, we are not made not holy or stopped from being holy by the things we consume. But Jesus goes on. He went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. The issue of being unclean, it's not language we tend to use, it sounds very ritual, but the issue of being unclean before a holy God, of being defiled before a holy God, Jesus says is very, very real. The stuff in Leviticus, the external laws are pointing towards always when Jesus was going to come, shine. it's all about heart and inside and spirit, it's not external but the issues of defilement are very, very real. This is why Jesus died. All the sacrifices in Leviticus pointing towards him. He died to make us clean. He rose again that we might have new life so we could live for him. And then he calls us to childlike faith. All of us in this room need cleansing in different ways from no doubt a good number of things on the list that Jesus says. These are the evils that sometimes have come out of us in our thoughts, our actions, our words, and we need cleansing from them. And for many of this is what Jesus has done for us. He has cleansed us, hasn't he? And then we're called to recognize these things and say, we don't want any part of that any longer. God help me. I want to follow your ways. Amen? Amen. What I'd like to do is, uh, if the, uh, the band, or maybe just Tim, I don't know, could come up. And we will uh, we'll worship again. But would you like to stand? And as they come and... Uh, Get ready. I'd like to, you know, you to reflect on the sense of your own heart and how much do you desire to be like God, to be holy, to walk in childlike faith, and all of us, have, you know, to stir up and say, God, help me. Are there specific areas of the way you're living life at the moment where you, you've got off track? You're pretending like it's not that important. You're not really going God's way in those things. You want to trust him for him and come back to him. And you can take some time to repent now. Maybe you've never uh, even given your life to Jesus to come before him, to receive uh, forgiveness, to be made clean. 
and maybe you're not sure what that's about, or you're thinking, does it really apply to me? And reflect, what's your conscience saying to you? Do you really think God accepts you as you are? Believe he loves you, God loves you. But these things that Jesus lists that defile us, is that part of you at some point in your life? Is that part of your thoughts, your actions, your words? Is a holy God really opening the doors to you? Do you need to come and get forgiveness for those things? Ask Jesus' blood, his sacrifice on the cross to make you clean. So as um, Tim and the band just sort of play through, lead us a bit, then maybe you'd just like to reflect on those things uh, for a few minutes. Thank you.